Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. Hello and welcome. This is Sandy, and I'm so glad to have you here in the new year. Welcome to 2018. I hope everybody had a great New Year's. Um, looking forward to a wonderful year of love and health and prosperity for all of you. And uh, today I am excited to be speaking with Dr. Janine Staples about her new book, Towards Supreme Love and Self. We're going to be talking about self-love and the importance of of loving yourself first, and we're going to be talking about some toxic relationships to avoid, um, lots of juicy stuff, so stay tuned. In just a minute, I'm going to bring Dr. Staples on, and I want you to know that love is not just for those who are lucky. It really is not just about luck, and many of you have given up on love, and I want you to know that with the right tweaks and the right skills, Love is possible because love is your birthright. And one of the things I love most is having people come to me with very little hope because everything they've tried hasn't worked. They've gone to therapy. They've seen other coaches. They've taken courses. And they keep hitting that wall of, oh, my God, why am I still single? So I want you to know that this is my specialty. I love helping people get unstuck and get past that wall um, so that you can have the love you deserve. And um, I want you to also check out a new program that I just created. It's called Love Mastery, and it's really about mastering the confidence, the core confidence and the skills that it takes to speak up and show up and be your authentic self so that you can attract in the right type of relationship that will really make you so happy. Um and it's expiring. We're, we're starting on the 15th, so the cart closes on January 12th. Um, go to lastfirstdate.com and click on group coaching to learn more about love mastery. Um, so every week I bring you a tip on how to be a woman of value because the woman of value is the one who gets the man of value. And this week's tip is step number 27, which is embrace your beauty. We all have beauty. Even if you feel that you don't, we all have our own type of beauty. And I want you to really, really embrace the beauty that you have because the more you believe in yourself, the more you glow, the more you're attractive, the more people want to be around you. And we sabotage ourselves so much. You know, I I just have seen so many amazing women who have poor self-worth. And so... I want you to stop worrying about cellulite and all the silly things that we worry about and really just embrace the beauty of who you are. And one way to do that, just a quick tip, is to even look in the mirror every day at your body and look at the parts that you're grateful for, like your hands, your feet, the things that it has done for you and your those those parts have done for you in your life and really Express gratitude, um, and the parts that you don't like so much, you might want to get some sparkly, glittery lotion and put it on. That's a really good way to start loving on yourself, or even some rub-on tattoos to have a little fun with it, because we all have our own brand of beauty. 
Um, one last thing before I bring on our guest is to join my face- Facebook group. It's a private, secret, closed group, not secret, but closed group, so it's totally confidential. It's called Your Last First Date, and it's for women over 40 who want some support that is positive and forward-moving, not looking back, not being stuck in victims. So if you're interested in moving your love life forward this year, join my private Facebook group, Your Last First Date. And now for our guest, Dr. Janine Staples. She's a professor at Penn State. She focuses on dismantling supremacist patriarchies through her research, through teaching and coaching. As a sociocultural literacist, she works to understand personal and public voices and stories to solve personal and public problems. Her work exposes the roots and effects of racism, sexism, and ableism. She is a sought-after scholar, educator, and coach and has received numerous accolades, and she's a survivor of multiple terrors in love, and we'll be speaking a little later about what that means. So join me now for episode number 287, Moving Towards Supreme Love with Janine Staples. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sandy. It's great to be here. Thank you. So um, let's talk about Supreme Love. What? Tell us a little about the book and um, and what is Supreme Love? Mm-hmm. So the book is entitled The Revelations of Asher, and it's based on two years of ethnographic data that I completed with um, 10 women um, that I work with over a period of time. And it features the stories um, of what I call terror narratives. Um, Those are narratives about all sorts of relational and social violences and abuses that range from things that we often deem acceptable or par for the course, like emotional neglect, um, uh, cheating, infidelity, um, lies and deception, um, uh, psychological trips that come with narcissistic abuse, even verbal abuse, all the way up to rape. Um, and molestation, and even physical battery. So the book features narrative accounts um, of relational and social terrors from the group of women that I work with, and I present them in a creative way. The book, the book even though it's based on two years of ethnographic data, it reads like, reads like prose. It reads like a novel. Uh, there's poetry in the book. Um, my book has a soundtrack. <laughs> there are links yeah. to music um, that are accompaniments to um, the chapters uh, to create a really holistic experience for the reader. And it's pretty phenomenal. I'm super proud of it. And it's mm, one of my greatest projects. Sounds yet. amazing. Yeah. It is great. Um, well, I, and I love that you, you're speaking about some of the many of the things that people have have deemed acceptable because, you know, I was just having this discussion with my son the other day about emotional abuse, and he his first response was physical abuse is just so much worse and i said no actually emotional abuse is that that hidden that hidden kind of abuse that a lot of people don't don't seem to really um see that the the severity of and so mm-hmm. um i think this is such an important topic and and i'm glad that you're bringing these stories to life um and is this something i'm imagining that you have experienced yourself which led to your interest? Oh, yes. I am a former codependent um, recovering, and I drew in narcissistic abuse for several years 
before I learned why I was generating those experiences, why I was basically like blood in the water for sharks, um, and how I could undo victim narratives um, around my identity and around my life. So I have firsthand experience with relational and social terrorism in a really profound way. Um, those experiences brought me to my knees um, were devastating in lots of ways. And so I use that space and also my training as an educational anthropologist to really highlight what you just described, Sandy. There are lots of ways that we are not educated. Um, as we attempt to be emotionally literate, we're not educated about the significance of what I call the small T terrors and how really, really important they are. Um, and because we are not educated and we're not informed, we often miss um, really what are the, the, it's the bedrock of our anxiety and our depression, and we miss it all the time. Chris, mm-hmm. I so agree with you. It's one of the first things I did after my divorce was to really get clarity about what, who, who were emotionally dangerous people. Because when you grow up with a so-called not normal childhood um, that leads to codependency and other um, unhealthy behaviors and relationship, we accept norm, we accept as normal inexcusable behavior. And um, that wasn't good mm-hmm. English, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying. No, I got um, it. Absolutely, I got yeah. it. Yeah. And so when we when we start to see that line in the sand, this is absolutely not okay. We recognize it faster. We listen to our intuition about it. Um, it it's life-changing. I mean, this is the work that I do with my clients as well. It's just so, so important to stop putting up with, with bad behavior and to really understand um, that we can be attracted to healthier partners. Yes. Yes, it is possible to... What I, what I say to the women uh, and actually men that I work with is that you can lose the taste for terror. Um, there's actually a taste that we develop for abuse. Um, it becomes familiar and comfortable, and um, it's where we actually feel a semblance of power. You can actually lose that taste, create new buds, <laughs> and develop yeah. a new lover identity where you can actually feel more comfortable in healthy dynamics and environments, absolutely possible. Mm-hmm. So can you share a few ways that, that you have helped people to heal from past narratives and get into a healthier mindset and develop this new appetite for for the right kind of love? Yeah. Yeah. So I, one of the things I do is I actually um, – disabuse women pretty early around the idea of self-love. I'm not a big advocate of self-love as um, a primary um, concept to work with. And the reason I'm not a big advocate of it is not that I don't understand it or accept it. I just, I think it's out of order. Um, I find that self-love can be pretty shallow um, because it doesn't necessarily help a woman to understand where she's carrying somatic pain in her body it's it doesn't it's not sophisticated enough as a method it's there there is no method to self-love it's just a concept Uh um and there's no way of making it really practical um to help a woman to understand where her pain lives um and how to actually excavate her soul to actually dig up the belief system to get to the root of her survival programs which are on high um to really understand what it means to 
disassemble defense mechanisms and create new narrative structures. Self-love is just not sophisticated enough. So I, I talk about supreme love. One of the ways that I uh-huh. support women initially is I talk about supreme love as um, a construct that's operationalized. It's got an operational feature because it's attached to a methodology. To love oneself supremely means to really get to know the fragmented, disowned, wounded, orphaned parts of personhood and engage with oneself in a very deeply present and intimate way um, over and over and over again. It means to clear um, the somatic pain that's in your body, um, and it means to develop a new narrative structure to speak to yourself on a spiritual level um, with a commanding presence. It's a, it's a, it's a maturing um, concept to operationalize, and so I help women to start to understand how they're built, like what's your form, what's your function, um, because so much of our identities are taken from us in the patriarchal society we live in. We don't really know who we are. Um, a lot of people don't even understand the capacity of womanhood, how big womanhood is, and what it means to stand in one's womanhood. So we start from the basics to understand personhood, how you are composed, what your form is, what your function is, um, and how you can operationalize a new lover identity that can actually take you into a realm where the past abuse is strange. Um, It's not familiar, it's not comfortable, um, and it's not something that's desired anymore at all. Mm. Sounds amazing. Um, And and I agree with you that most most people when they talk about self-love it just feels like how the hell do you do that I actually had a call this morning with a potential client and we were talking about that and I said you know it's not just go love yourself because I didn't understand that for most of my life people were saying well you have to love yourself first Um, so you really and I love that you talk about somatic you know the somatic piece because a lot of people don't really understand what that is but being in your body being in the more you know the feeling part of who we are, which we pretty much stay away from because it's so vulnerable, um, but deeper in where we feel it intuitively and where where things happen and lie in our subconscious, um, I think we get so much deeper and so much we can break through pain and old wounds when we go to that somatic level. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so much of the time that we spend on self-love is just, it's not a good investment only because it doesn't take into account um, mastery of the somatic realm. It's too Mm -hmm. cerebral. It's all about go love yourself. Basically go get a makeover, go Mm -hmm. get a massage, look in the mirror and tell yourself you're beautiful. Tell yourself you're worthy. Tell yourself you're, but none of that, all of those quote unquote self-love practices, actually they can end up re-traumatizing women um, mm. uh, because they they actually highlight the lack of faith and the lack of belief and the lack of hope that's actually present in her body. Um, and so it's, it's actually kind of dangerous to, in my opinion, to focus on self-love um, when a person doesn't even know who she is. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not a smart move. Yeah, people reject themselves all the time and, don't know who they mm-hmm. are and have been living their life for somebody else most of the time. I mean, that's that's the whole codependent part of who we become is we have accommodated, twisted into a pretzel, tried to give up 
something for somebody without really knowing what was important for us. Um, so that's it's just so important to change all that. Um, so let's talk about the lover identities. Um, can you talk about yeah. the five lover identities? Sure. So um, when I worked with the women for uh, those ten women for two years, the data revealed five what I call toxic reactionary lover identities. They're basically archetypical formations that the average woman might um, embody over the course of her lifetime. Um, They are, I gave them funky names, sort of pop culture names to help people to remember them. So they're described as main chick, side chick, Bonnie, bitch, and victim. Uh, And I can, I can talk about each one, like a 60 second spread. Yeah, please. (laughs) Preach. Okay. Okay. So main chick is a lover identity um, that's basically the leader of a pack. She's a matriarchal figure, or she aspires to be a matriarchal figure. It's typically a woman who so idealizes and um, idolizes um, the male-female relationship or a matrimonial relationship that she'll do just about anything to get it. She's very preoccupied. She's a serial monogamous. Whatever she does... um, on the sideline of her mind or even in the front line of her mind, it's about, it's tied to that end goal of landing a man. So it's, it can lead into an obsessive energy. It's all about, oh, yeah, I definitely want to lose this weight, but it's to get a man to notice me. I definitely want to take this class, but it's to get a man to think I'm smart. I definitely want to get this degree, but it's to make sure that I look very um, enterprising to a man. And there's so many tie-ins. Um, that often a main chick doesn't even realize how connected she is to the ideal or the idol. Um, and she's losing herself every day, week, month, year that she makes those investments over and over and over again above and beyond herself. One of the reasons that a magic is a toxic and reactionary um, lover identity is because of the um, the sacrifices that um, a magic will make in the name of love. Um, at its worst, this lover identity actually jeopardizes other women and children even because it enables um, a hyper-patriarchal and masculinist view, um, you know, in, in a lot of ways that are really painful. So one of the, the examples that I give, for example, is I say, you know, Camille Cosby is the consummate main chick. Um, uh, mm. And, you know, there's a lot of damage to communities when a main chick stays on her perch for 50 years, for example, um, mm. or even five years. So a side chick is that title of that lover identity is pretty self-explanatory. It's basically a mistress. It's a woman on the side. She basically is getting crumbs. Um, One of the things I say about a side chick is she's pretty invested in fantasy, whereas um, a main chick is invested in a concrete fantasy. She wants that beaver cleaver thing or that huxtable thing. Um, A side chick is also rooted in fantasy, but it's much more sexual. It's sensual. It's erotic. It's passionate. Um, a side chick is um, pretty much bought and sold on material design and material possessions. Um, she's, what I say, is soft on the outside and really hardened on the inside. She's susceptible to touch and taste, a lot of very tactile energies in that lover identity. Um, and uh, she's pretty lonely uh, and often desperate, even though she might talk a really good game. Hmm. Uh, questions so far? I've known a couple of these. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Keep going. Uh, So, yeah, let's go to Bonnie. So, a Bonnie is um, uh, a lover, a woman who embodies that identity is, um, she leans into the 
Bonnie and Clyde motif. So a Bonnie is basically a ride or die chick. She's um, all about proving herself to be the MVP of a man's life. So this is a woman who might pay a man's bill. She might run his errands. She might make sure that his house is clean, that his laundry is folded. Um, I work on a college campus. I know too many women who are doing the homework for their boyfriends. Um, that's it's clear Bonnie designs um, about wanting to be seen as valuable and willing to give up herself, her possessions, her time, her energy um, in order to be seen that way, um, in order to be chosen and kept. Um, she's often resentful, exhausted, and confused in general. Um, a bitch is a lover identity that resides in the most heated end of the spectrum is a woman who is profane, she's argumentative, she's um, domineering, um, she can be caustic and sort of grating in her affect and in her present presence. Um, but interestingly, Sandy, the opposite end of the spectrum of bitch, I've also known women who've embodied that lover identity who are actually not loud or brash or profane. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, if you've ever met a woman, you stand next to her and energetically she seems like she's seeding under the surface, um, oh, just yeah. like a boiling pot, you know, uh-huh. just about to explode. That's also an iteration of the bitch lover identity. She's just not screaming and yelling yet. Um, So a victim, Uh that lover identity is what I say um, in the Supreme Love Projects community is that it's, it's, in my opinion, the hardest to heal. Um, That woman is pretty vested in a martyr complex. Um, She gives and gives and gives and gives and gives. She's definitely a masculine giver in that respect. She's an over giver um, and she's a complainer. She's a whiner. Um, and she's also on a steady supply of applause and approval. There are lots of people in the community and the household who depend on her, giving, quote-unquote, selflessly um, to the extent that she is also exhausted, um, also embittered um, and resentful, um, and yet creates lots of evidence as to why she needs to invest in that identity, keep that identity, um, hold fast to that identity because it makes her needed. It makes her um, powerful, um, valuable, and she's really stuck in a spin. So those five lover identities are toxic. They're reactionary. I've found um, through my research that women are prone to develop one or more of those toxic reactionary lover identities if they've been exposed to relational and social terrors over the course of their girlhood, adolescence, and adulthood. Hmm. Yeah, so... And most people can probably relate to these, I would say. Um, definitely the people who come sure. to me and come to you. Um, yeah. And so which lover identity were you when you were starting to practice Supreme Love? I was a, yeah, so I was a main chick Bonnie. And one of the things I say, I have a diagnostic that a woman could take. It's free on my website, com. But what I say is that typically um, the average woman has a dominant and subordinate lover identity. And... Um, they are flexible, they are malleable. The saving grace, Sandy, is that we can evolve those identities. You do not have to stay stuck. I was a a main chick Bonnie, a dominant main chick and subordinate in Bonnie for years before I healed myself. Mm -hmm. No, I I so agree with you that you can heal. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I, one day my mom said to me, I'm, I'm a martyr because I come from a long line of martyrs. And my mother was yeah. a martyr, and so it's in my DNA. And I'm like, hey, I'm your daughter. I am not you. Mm-hmm. And, you yeah. know, it's just so many people come to me with, I have DNA in my, it's a people-pleasing thing. It's, it's, it's in my DNA, and it's not your DNA. You can change, you can't change your DNA, can you? <laughs> Yes, you can actually. And I just wanted to jump oh, in yeah? there. So a part of my work, yeah, so a part of my work, I study um, epigenetics, which is a field of biology that talks specifically about intergenerational inheritance. So when the women come and say something like that to you, they're actually not mm-hmm. wrong entirely. Oh, okay. There so is, um, there is, yeah, there is, yeah, yeah, yeah. There are genetic markers that we actually inherit in the womb. So literally consciousness comes into blood stream. It comes into DNA markers. Um, that's one of the reasons you can see a baby or a toddler do something or say something and you kind of do a double take like, how did she know to do that or say that? That was something mm-hmm. my mother used to do or say or my grandmother used to do or say. It actually is an inheritance. And mm-hmm. so when people say that to me, I say, okay, fine. Yeah, you did inherit that quote-unquote gene. You did inherit that tendency, that propensity for terror, for sure. But the great thing about epigenetics and what we're learning from that field of biology is that we actually can do shifting. When you do somatic work and you couple that with psychological training for your soul, you can actually over time, it's really about intensity of of instruction over length of days. That's the formula. Intensity Mm -hmm. of instruction over length of days. You can shift those intergenerational markers. You can shift those hooks um, and mm. actually evolve your consciousness and set up a new pattern. You can set up a new pattern and give that to the people that you carry or the people who are in your environment. So much of consciousness is a tie between our nurturing and our nature, but it can be shifted. Mm-hmm. No, I, I believe it can shift. I just didn't think it was actually something so inherited in terms of like learn behavior versus like nature versus nurture. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, when we're around mm-hmm. our caregivers and what we pick up and how we subconsciously do things that we think we'll, we'll never yeah. do, we'll never repeat behaviors. And it's like, oh, yeah. oh boy. <laughs> yeah. So, and um, I would just but, encourage you, I, I would just, I was going to say, I would just encourage you and your listeners, if you feel like you're super, super stuck and it's a huge, big barrier and you really, why do I keep doing these things over and over again? Check out epigenetics. Just Google it. You'll find a whole wealth of information about the genetic markers that actually get etched into our DNA, our consciousness through our, our parents and grandparents mm-hmm. and great, 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 great grandparents. It's a, it's a big line. Yeah. A big yeah, line of inheritance. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the good thing is that we can change. <laughs> No matter what yeah. the line is and how long it's stretched, um, with oh, the right kind of work, it. yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're we're almost at time, and there was so much more I wanted to talk to you about. Yes. Um, tell us a little. I, I mean, I just want people to know that they can really make these changes, and I love yeah. you know when you share like some of the steps. So when you talk, like, can you give us just one example of some somatic healing that you that you have done? Sure. So the primary tool that we use in the Supreme Love Project is um, it's called the Supreme Love Healing Methodology. 
And it's a guided meditation that does quantum level healing in your somatic space. And so it's where I'm able to actually link up with people spirit to spirit and create um, movements between soul and soma. And it's about doing certain movements, reciting certain um, um, narrative structures while engaged in a particular meditative state. Um, And it is fairly formulaic. It's involved. I don't teach it to the general public. It's way too powerful for that. And I really need to apprentice people to learn the structure of it. Um, But what I can say is that it has created huge, fast, massive shifts that when when they're happening in the context of a coaching community that has a curriculum um, that's paced out um, over time, it's, it's amazing the healing that can happen. So, for example, I'll be, I can be even more specific. But there are lots of somatic memories that we carry in our belly, for example. There are lots of somatic memories that we carry across the back of our shoulders. Um, there are somatic memories that we carry in our solar plexus right in the middle of your chest. There are, um, there are somatic memories that you carry in your skull, um, in, in the skull fractures um, that happen oh. just because of the thinking patterns that we've done over the course of time. And when we focus on those spaces and we actually form meaningful engagements with those parts of ourselves that are telling stories about worth and value and capacity and possibility, um, we can time it properly and uh, generate an experience that can really just release and uproot those systems. It can huh. happen. I've seen it. I've done it on myself. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things I, take, I say to women, and I hope that you, I think you know, that, I know you know this, um, and I hope the callers will take this and receive this. One of the um, results of somatic shifting and somatic healing, specifically that comes from the Supremo Healing Methodology, is when you see your ex or you see your parent or you see that best friend who quote unquote abandoned you or you see that person who abused you and you actually feel no somatic triggers. None. Uh-huh. None whatsoever. Yeah, no. You can see That's... on Facebook, Instagram, a tweet, their name pop uh-huh. up, their face pop up, their picture pop up with a new person, with new baby, with a new house, and you literally feel nothing. Don't you feel uh-huh. zero attachment? <laughs> no rising, no fire, no heart palpitations, nothing. That means that you've you've done a serious clearing. Mm. So valuable and so, so important because so many people still carry the pain of so many relationships. And this is where the healing takes place. I mean, this is actually the conversation I had with this client today. Um, So it's such important work. So tell us how people can learn more about the Supreme Love Project and how it's impacting women all across the world. Yeah. So anyone can go to the SupremeLoveProject.com and um, sign up for something free. We have interview series, master classes, webinars. If you get on our email list, you will get lots of really powerful free content from me that's high value that you can implement today. Um, You can email support at JanineStaples.com, and our operations manager will be glad to assist you in signing up for a program that's free. Um, And for people who want VIP-level support and training where they get a part of a small group coaching program where I work with people either for 12 weeks or 12 months, depending on what your goals are, um, you can also email support at JanineStaples.com. It's not open to the public. My groups 
are by invitation only, I would need to hop on the phone with you and make sure that we're a match. Um, and those are tuition-based programs, and that's where I teach the healing methodologies, and I teach the methods and the scripts and the narrative structures that can change your life immediately. Mm, sounds amazing. Well, thank you so yeah. much, Janine. Your work is beautiful and, and so important in this world, and um, thank you for doing this work and, and helping so many people to heal. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me here. It's been wonderful. You are a blessing, and I hope to talk to you again soon. hope everyone stays oh, well thank you. in the new year. Thank you. You too. And thanks, everybody, for listening today, and I hope you go on your last first date very soon. Have a great day. 